Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide to find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm D.S. Brown, your host, and together we will Etch the Edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and here we are again. What do we do now and how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. I'm proud to introduce you to our podcast, our purpose, to do the work, to truly peel away at the extremes. For it's the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog, people. Small groups with outsized voices are commanding the stage. And the rest of us, well, the rest of us suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort, have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Today, on our first episode, 2020, a little bit of everything ugly, and where do we find the good? Rayshard Brooks, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Reverend Bruce Clunder, Invoked. They say may you live in interesting times. However, I'm quite sure many of us don't want the times to be as interesting as they are now, right? We're cloistered and then isolated and trying our best to keep ourselves safe while an invisible killer wanders around in our midst, taking people out left and right. Thankfully, that's kind of, we're hoping, stabilized. You know, a few months ago, we were all looking at the TV screen with bated breath, wondering if we were going to fall into the zombie apocalypse, because when we looked at what was coming out of New York City, we all feared for the end of the world, right? You, you see the the video is coming out of Italy, and it looks like the dead zone, and and this thing was sweeping the world. We were all terrified. Interesting. Very interesting. And we can say that now with a level of comfort, right? Because when you step outside your front door, I, I'm here in Atlanta. I don't know where you may be, but my fellow Atlantans and I, we step outside our front door, and you know, when you, you go down the street, people are driving, there's traffic. People are walking to and fro. They're getting back to the business of doing business. And a lot of people aren't wearing masks. I wear mine. I'm just going to say it right here on our podcast. If you go out, if you step out in the public space, you need to wear your mask. You need to continue to practice social distancing because you see this thing out there, it's it's killer. We don't have a vaccine yet. We don't have antivirals yet. Well, I, that's wrong. We do have drugs right now that are in phase three that are showing a great deal of promise. And some are being offered intravenously if you're in, in a hospital and it is helping to alleviate the pain of this virus and helping people to survive it. 
But the fact of the matter is we're not lining up to get shots for an anti-vaccine to prevent us from getting it. And that, people, is the problem. That is what's core to the issue when it comes down to this this COVID-19 thing. And for sure, it's making a hell of an interesting time for all of us, right? Um, We've got an election coming up. Last night in Tulsa, the president, Donald Trump, held a rally. It was supposed to be bigly, hugely, incredibly one of the most fascinating spectacles we'd ever see. And I'm here to tell you, for me personally, it was amazing. It was absolutely spectacular. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was awesome. I saw the result, and I say it was awesome because I had a fear. I had a fear. I had a fear that I was going to find out that that arena was filled to the brim with people. They were all mashed up next to each other and following the leadership of the most powerful man in the world, they would not wear a mask. Following the leadership of the most powerful man in the world, four, eight, what, six to eight of his advanced team already got COVID-19 and folks were still going to go and have their signs and wear their hats and, 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 and sing and chant, lock her up, down with Obama and, and every other negative thing they could possibly yell and they would do that. And these are my fellow Americans. I had a fear. I had a fear that in two weeks, some of them would be dead or at least dying. Well, it was awesome because hardly anybody was there. I thought that was great. Clearly, the president was disappointed, and I think some messages have come, uh, have come out of the White House already. Um, I haven't read any of them, uh, but the fact of the matter is there were not that many people there. The people who were there, they were still kind of not practicing social distancing. In particular, there was this section of people of color where they were dancing to uh, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, no mask, um, Hopefully a few of them will not be sick in two weeks and and none of them will be dead. And I say this because I mean it. I I do not wish death upon them. Um, But I'll be damned if it doesn't make for interesting times, right? So, I believe we're at the cusp of fundamental global change. I call this time the second civil rights movement for obvious reasons. Just turn on your TV. All of this together is an all-encompassing movement that will push us into zones of discomfort. And it's priming us for something different, something explosive. And for me personally, I think this is a good thing. As we launch our podcast straight out of Atlanta, I have to go back to the first name on that list of invocation, Rayshard Brooks. Please let me break down how this encounter should have played out in my personal opinion. You see, the mandate is to protect and serve. And I want to add some language that matters. You see, I don't support defunding the police because as a rallying cry, I think it divides us. It makes enemies out of the police who are already instructed to over-police our communities, our at-risk communities, with lack of training and an internalized understanding. They, They don't get the people they police. They don't see them as human beings, right? Not to mention they are just overworked and asked to do too much. We must have respect for the job and what we're asking them to do. That's 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 fundamental, in my opinion. What I believe in is investing in, in a community police model that puts the community first, because, again, it's to protect and serve with funding that works on what really addresses the core issues. But before I go any further, back to the example, because if, if you haven't seen the 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 camera footage 
from Rayshard Brooks' encounter, take the time to see it. What you're going to find is a police officer who is antagonistic. He is picking at this black man who he found sleeping in the car. Man wanted to go get some burgers. Now, I, and again, I, I want you to really think about the humanity of the situation, a human being, a billion possibilities, a father, someone's son, he's gone forever. Gone because he fell asleep. Gone because he wanted some Wendy's cheeseburgers and fries and perhaps a shake. Gone because he was terrified. Because you see, when you look at the camera, you'll probably go, well, why did he act up so? Why did he fight back? Why did he resist? Why did he run away? Well, in my opinion, again, my opinion, as your host here on Edge the Edges, I'm looking at this with a critical thinking mind, and I'm thinking that perhaps the man was scared that if he got in the back of the police car, he would never get out again. You know, right now, men of color look at this and we go, they're killing us out there. And, you know, it's the, the, the healthiest thing is to fear the cops. That should not be. That should not be. So when you see the camera footage, what did Rayshard Brooks do? He kept explaining he was just trying to get a, a cheeseburger. He was quite clearly drunk. He couldn't remember falling asleep in the in the drive through He believed he did not drive that car. Then I think he remembered he drove that car. He lied. You know, he drove the car. But he fell asleep, and what a wonderful thing. You know, he wasn't going to try to go anywhere else. He was not in the right frame of mind. And he was caught now. So for like 35 to 40-some-odd minutes, this police man exercised his police power to make a fool out of this man. That's what he did. Made him act, made him speak, made him get caught up in his words. I think the other officer, because if you watch it at one point, the other officer is kind of like, man, can you cut this short? <laughs> you know? But again, the mandate is to protect and serve. And everyone that I've seen posting about this, they, they, I, we all get it. You know, the dude said, my sister lives up the street. He didn't exactly know where he was at first, but he figured it out. He said, let me walk home. There was a time you could look on any old television show, especially when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and you'd see that the, the officer would pick up like the town drunk and put him in the tank, let him sleep it off. You know, that's protecting and serving. You protect the public by keeping this man from behind the wheel, and you serve the public good, and this one human being, by letting him sleep it off, he could have taken him home. Oh, but then perhaps you say the cop is not an Uber. Well, They've got an Uber. He could have called him an Uber. But in my opinion, it would not have been such a bad thing. And what a community service type thing to say, look, dude, I'm going to put you in the back of my, of my patrol car and I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you home. I'm going to take you home. He could have done something along those lines. Don't you think that's 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 what I think. That's that's D.S. Brown's opinion. And see, I, I believe that that would have been protecting and serving. So. That is how I think that situation should have gone down. Conversation and language that is not escalating in nature, but de-escalating. Where are you going? Can we call someone to come get you? Serve the public good. But no, this this cop decided he, he, he wanted to antagonize. And then when the guy was running away, I know, I know. We all know that the man's been in trouble, apparently, What whatever. 
he grabbed the taser, a non-lethal weapon. But okay, yeah, some folks are saying that a taser can, in some instances, kill a person. Okay, yeah, I get it. And he pointed it at the officer. But again, there is this thing called socialization that many of us go through as we are raised Americans. We are raised up to be Americans and we see each other and we have preconceived notions about who we are, what we do, where we come from, what we believe. And all of those things can play out in the seconds between thought and action and then the result of that action. This officer chased him. Hot pursuit. Hot pursuit. See it on the camera. Dropped his taser. I think that's what happened when the glowing thing fell on the floor as he's chasing Ray Shard, and just as he's trained to do, he put him square, sent him ass, shot him. Man fell to the floor. That was it. All because the man was drunk and wanted to get a cheeseburger. We can let that settle. But you see, I believe that if we take a different approach, we can fix the problem of over-policing, but we need to right, use the right language and we need to come up with the right plan, the right policies. We need to execute that with, 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 with speed, with all due speed. See, right now, we have over-policing in at-risk communities to try and address symptoms of legality. We often find that those officers are not there to serve the community. They are there to police it. Some ideas to fix it so that you're serving that community. Place the police in the neighborhood. Let them live there. You know, so they can start to see the folks as people. Neighbors. You tend to want to protect your neighbors. Revive Officer Friendly. I don't know if they still do that in schools, but I remember Officer Friendly. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. But, you, you know, you have to do that socialization, both from the officer's standpoint and the people in the community. De-escalation training. Diversity and inclusion training. Enact the Citizens Review Board. Start the work of aggressively removing qualified immunity. It's got to go. Reevaluation of police roles. What do we mean by that? Again, policemen are human beings. And folks, even right now as we march and protest, some of us protesting are looking at human beings as the victims of police action but the policemen are being seen as other. They're not other. They're people too. And yes, they go home at night. Some of them try to hug their kids and, you know, take care of their families and feed them. We got to see them as human beings too. But the interesting thing about it is when we're in the midst of all this conflict, we start to see them as other and we devalue their position as well. But that's not going to help the conversation. That's not going to etch the edges. That's not going to help us find the common ground because they are human beings. And when we, trigger, when we try to figure out what roles the police should serve in the community, we're going to get closer to a right solution because right now they serve so many. We call them for this. We call them for that. We call them for everything. And not all of them are trained to deal with everything, like the mentally challenged. Invariably, we will soon enough see another story where a cop came to pick up a man who was mentally challenged and... I pray it doesn't happen that way, but we all know, we've seen already, that that mentally challenged man who really needed some support, some guidance, some conversation, some help, he, he's going to catch a bullet. He's going to catch a bullet. That's going to be the end. 
With police in particular, we need to transform the warrior culture to a vital defender culture. You may want to lay your life on the line and protect your partner, and that is the thing we do want in our military. I may be, I may be wrong for saying this, and some may think my opinion invalid, but I, I don't think I am. We don't need that in our police. You see, partner supporting partner. In the midst of combat, my only duty is to make sure my partner and I make it home. We don't need that for our police. For our police, we need them to be willing to put their lives on the line for the citizens. All the citizens. The job is to protect and serve. You got to make sure that the people that you are policing are safe. You're not in a war zone, even though we may call these communities war zones. It's language like that that we've got to end. And these are the symptoms coming out of these communities that we're sending police in to address and we're not even looking for the cure. We got to change that. So the warrior culture has to go. A defender culture needs to rise. And policing in a manner where you put your life on the line for the citizens you protect and serve, that's the job. All things must be viewed through the lens of saving lives. The police need to reevaluate the selection process. I think more than, uh, <laughs> I think everyone agrees on this one, whether you're right, left, middle, whatever. We all know because we have people saying there are some bad apples and you've got folks on the other end of the extreme saying it's just all of them, defund the police completely. Again, bad language all around. We've got one extreme and the other. Again, this is etching the edges, right? So we got to etch the edges. We got to let that stuff go. We got to figure out the fact that policemen, policewomen, they're human beings too. They will make mistakes. They do this job. They need to take care of their families, but the job is to help and serve and protect us. So the evaluation process needs to find and hire and train people who will do that job and do it well. Some of these cops aren't cut out for that. And that is the bottom line. We need to foster a culture shift that supports the police through the stress of the job. We need to support an investment in the police that makes raising their salaries and scales them for performance part and parcel to the action of policing. What does all that mean? That means... They don't get paid enough to do the job, in my opinion. And some of the jobs, quite frankly, need some danger pay. God's honest truth. Lots of change. Lots of change. Now, moving us from the police to the people protesting. Again, we are in times of change. Last week, I heard about LGBTQ organizers in conflict with Black Lives Matters organizers and another LGBTQ group. You know, there are reasons, there's always context, but my point is there must be a dialogue, right? Listen, I'm an everyday guy, just like all of you. These views are my own. I'm not here to high talk, to come off as a smart one with all the answers. Here we're about the commons. On SG Edges, we're about what's everyday for everyday people. So when I hear about things like this, I start to want to lean into common sense that we're all born with, whether we acknowledge it or not. The context behind their arguments are valid, but we've got to be able to etch the edges and figure out what pieces really matter, what pieces are common, 
and how we can support each other to get what we need in terms of policy. The last thing we need are multiple minority at-risk groups, challenging groups, groups that have a need fighting with each other, fighting with each other. These are things we want to discuss on this show, how we feel about these tough issues, what we think about them, our allies and or our opposition. And let's be real, when it comes to how we feel, not how we think, not what's logical, not necessarily the facts, but again, how we feel, the level of complexity, it skyrockets. We make it hard. We go into the tunnel. We raise the walls. We widen the divide. It's us against them, against them, against them. The Game of Thrones. I'll try my best to keep it simple. No matter how challenging the subject matter, people have complained to me that I sometimes use big words. Yes, I do. Um, It's just who I am. But no matter how challenging the subject matter, I'm going to lean in deep, folks. I'm going to try my best to use everyday language and stop with the $50 words, right? That's, 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 That's my promise to you. But again, really, it's about that divide and... The whole show is an action, a call, an effort to help close that divide. So I'll I'll always try my best to stick to that vein, keep it at a good common level, not be all highfalutin and all of that. and, and, And that's what I intend to do now. Back to the point, because I can go and, and, and digress on along that tangent for a very long time, and we don't want to do that. We've got an election coming up this November, as I've already stated, November 3rd, the presidential election to be exact. And just to be real clear, if you care about the future of this country, then you need to vote. And in specific, you need to vote Trump out. That's the bottom line. Our country, no, our world is at a crossroads. We've got the COVID age, real or fake. We've got civil disobedience, justified and some not so justified. Riots versus protests. The paycheck you are or are not receiving. We've got a budget in crisis. We've got the ideological divide, which has continued to grow wider and wider as time has gone by. And it's to the point now where American hates American. Well, I was getting ready to say more so, right? But (laughs) we've got a grand tradition of American hating American. That's that's sad to say. So I think what I would prefer to say is part and parcel of this program, what I want to do hand in hand is get hands in hands and and help close that divide and help remove that that persistent that persistence of hate. Because you see, the show is about politics and all politics is personal, whether you believe it or not. Those are the simple facts. All politics is personal, people, and all politics is local. But talking about these topics, I just want to take the this time to, you know, clarify and say a few things about who I am and why am I qualified to speak? Well, first and foremost, I'm qualified to speak because the sacred document at the founding at the heart of this country gives me that right. So I will take advantage of that and do as I see fit. But talking about these topics and these things would add to that. Well, I'm an American, as I said, I'm free. I'm educated. I have experience. I've lived life. I'm a professional in the IT field. I've written nine books. I hold several patents. I'm a technologist and a creator and a dreamer at heart. I'm passionate about human beings and the human condition. I think deeply. I care greatly. I love equally. I'm a child of the South, 
a Southern gentleman to be sure. I went to the University of Georgia where I gained a keen understanding of race and what it's like to be the only one in the room. And it is there that I fully understood that, again, race is a social construct. It's not real beyond the fact that there's only one race of human beings, and that is human beings. Our colors do not denote racial distinction. Those are classes of people by color, if you will, but the color is many and varied. The things that really bind us are ethnicity and our cultural norms. My time at UGA was not a negative experience. It just was, and it made me ready for the world, in my opinion. I voted Democrat and Republican. I was born into the ideology of a Democrat. I went to college and I read Ayn Rand and Ayn Rand and I became a conservative. To me, poor people stunk on ice at that point. I would tell them, get a job, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But the problem with that ideology, that belief, that, that, that thought of telling people to pick yourself up in the finest of American traditions is it's a lie. Because see, the bottom line is most, if not all of us, got nowhere without someone's help. And you can't tell someone to pick themselves up by their bootstraps when they don't know what a boot is, where to go to find it, and if they found it, what to do with it, how to put on, lace up, and launch out. You can't tell a person, a child in an at-risk community to go and put on the boot and bootstrap themselves out of poverty. They don't know what the hell you're talking about. And that was made very keen and clear to me once upon a time on a fine day when I was volunteering in the community and took the time to speak to a group of at-risk kids. And they told me in no uncertain terms that, Dr. Brown, we would really love to do what you do. They called me a doctor because I was well-spoken. I have no doctorate. I serve in no hospital. I'm not a man of medicine. I'm just a professional in IT field with a bachelor's degree. But it broke my heart to hear that child say that he, you know, he wanted to work in computers. He couldn't pronounce computers correctly. And another kid said they wanted to work, they wanted to do that kind of work where folks dealt with uh, the stuff that makes the lights work, you know, the electrical thing. I said you wanted to be an electrician? They said, yeah, that. I was dumbfounded. Child didn't know what an electrician was. Now, you're going to go ahead and tell a child like that, a community like that, that they just have to figure it out, not lend them any assistance at all, if that is your belief, then as an American, you are welcome to it. But this show is not for you. I would like for you to stop listening, tune out, tune off, go do what you do. As an American, you're free to do so, but you're part of the problem. You're not interested in the solution, and I ain't got no time for you. Listen, there are good people on both sides, and we're going to talk to them. But just to be clear, those good people don't march with tiki torches. They don't worry about somebody replacing them, and they don't chant about blood and soil. Those aren't the good people that I'm trying to reach because they, in many instances, if they are willing to run people over with vehicles, they might not be reachable. But it's not to say that they can't ever be reached. It's just right now we're in an existential crisis, and I don't have time for it. Maybe I'll make time for it later, but right now that's not the audience either. Right now the audience are the people who want to lean into discomfort and have difficult conversations and peel away at the edges, and really try to find common ground. That's all I really want us to do. We want to do real talk on real topics with real everyday people. And we'll have those hard conversations. I invite anyone who wants to take the time to speak on the show to reach out to me. We'll get you booked, and we'll have a conversation. We'll talk about ideology, why your view may be the same as mine, or why your view may be different than mine. And we'll even take the time to talk to some people, if we can find them, who are perfectly willing to continue to support 
President Donald Trump and want to keep him at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for four more years. I find the whole thing inconceivable, but there are people who still want it. And I would really love to understand why. Some of you say you don't have time for politics. You don't want to scour the internet looking for facts, half facts, alternative facts, or lies. And some of you live for it. You live for proving someone wrong. You live for the point and counterpoint. You will spend four hours out of the day doing your quote-unquote research. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to stop doing all that. Now, I'm an everyday guy, but I work hard. I aspire, I learn, I seek to grow. I say all that to say I'm qualified to speak not because I'm educated, having matriculated at a university. I'm qualified to speak because it's enshrined, like I said in the document, the heart of the founding of this nation. My education only serves to raise the quality of what I speak. However, there's nothing uglier than an educated fool. So to that end, I apply critical thinking and common sense. I speak with candor, honesty, and sincerity. I'm willing to be wrong, but I strive to be right. That is my promise to you. I will always stick to it. Expect nothing less. And if I fail, call me on it. Like anything, real research is a skill. If you want to do it, I would ask you to not do what you do now, but take it back to the old school. That is my educated self telling you that you can't scour the internet for four hours and suss out the truth when all you look at are sites that support your popular position, your political point. It's called an echo chamber, people. Step out of it. For you young people out there who want to take the time to get engaged, do it like you're doing now when you're working for the grade. When you're trying to write an essay, look for critical sources, sources that can be trusted, so to speak, sources that live by a real mandate, operate by a real mandate, they are, that they are to source facts and provide facts, and both sides of those facts. Lean on that research. We'll be talking about that in a later podcast. Right now, here's the real deal. Like I said, we are in crisis. Freedom is dying, and liberty is only for those loyal to the establishment. Those who stay in line don't see their freedoms dying. They are used to being told and obeying, not thinking. Reading is hard, people, and thinking for oneself, even harder. American freedom costs. It requires work. Not only must you want it, but you must understand it in order to keep it. It's not about a party, people. Americans are so steeped in ideology that they are lost in their own tribes, drowning in a media-driven identity. They are party over people. We must be contributors to an American government that makes sense. Our votes have value. Our votes count. It's time we show people. It's time we show. Show up and show out. Exercise the vote. Understand what you are voting for and hold them accountable to it. We must support all Americans and feel good about the decisions we make, despite party and tribe. Our core beliefs must not conflict negatively with the result of our vote. We must be clear. Because if we can't get the vote right, people, if we can't add value, then it is truly possible that our country, America, may no longer be free. At Etchy Edges, we promise to show you a better way, a true American way that even though conflict closes, even through conflict, we can close the ideological divide and make America great for all Americans and those who wish to be American. We know if we show you how to Etchy Edges, We can all find common ground with our fellow Americans. When we return, we'll talk to some very special guests here at Etchy Edges about some of these urgent topics that I've just discussed. Topics of the day, changing of the world and the word, a pivot in an age 
fear and hope.